when I was listening to, as well as listening to Matt leading us, I was listening to that, you know that sound that now accompanies communion? That, and I thought, I know what that sound is, but I couldn't quite place it. And then it suddenly came to me, it is the sound of mice in the pantry. <laughs> and it's not just one mouse, it's like so many mice. That, I must admit that that thought did distract me just a little bit from what... <laughs> It's, a, it's really weird, isn't it, what we have to do now? It's just like, whoa. Well, here we are. We're at, in the second half of our, our look through the, the life of Jephthah, one of the most unusual stories that I've ever been asked to speak on, really. But I must say, there's so much to find, like any part of the Bible, I guess. There's just sort of endless truth who has a Bible with them other than their phone? Ooh, it's not many. I, I was surprised last week to notice that everybody who came and read did so on their phone. And I just wonder myself, I wonder where that's taking us. It's a bit, I'm, I'm probably sounding a bit like a Luddite or, you know, a bit old-fashioned. But I think that the Bible actually is, is a book and, and so... What I'm leading up to is, if you've got your Bible this morning, open it at the back, not the front. Okay, we're going to open our Bible from the back. Now, how you do that on a phone, I don't know. But you can try. Turn your phone over. <laughs> See if that works. The reason I say that is a simple thing. If you open your Bible at the front, you're met by the law. And... Um, the law condemns. If you open your Bible at the back, you're met instead by grace, and grace forgives. This is important as we approach Jephthah's story. Last week, we uh, have another look at Darren's really stunning drawing there, and we, we saw how Jephthah was driven, driven by his need for acceptance. Um, and today we will see just how far he will be driven to succeed in his bid to find approval from others. We left Jephthah last week at verse 28 in Judges 11. We're not gonna, I'm just going to work through it rather than read it. So open your Bible from the back all the way over to Judges 11. And in verse 28, Jephthah had delivered his historical, um, su his accurate summary of Israel's history but the king of Amnon paid no attention to the message that Jephthah had sent. So Jephthah had said, essentially, your God says this is your land, our God says this is our land, so there's only one way to sort it out. We're going to have a war. In Judges 11.29, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Open your Bible from the back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus makes an unusually strong, I, I guess it's a command. I haven't thought of it as a command, but I guess it is. It's, it's in the same chapter where the, you find the Lord's Prayer and uh, various other things that Jesus teaches about prayer and Christian behaviour, not to... Uh, he takes some Old Testament things and, and reviews them. Um, 
takes um, this verse here, verse 33 of Matthew 5. Again, did I say Matthew 5? Yeah. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. So there's Jesus referencing the Old Testament. But now I tell you, New Covenant, do not break your oath. Sorry, I t I'm not, not reading very well today, am I? But now I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. It's funny though, your children can make your hair go grey, but that's an entirely different thing. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Now, Jephthah is in the Old Covenant, right? But we aren't. And just before we go into the detail of what Jephthah's vow entailed, think a little bit about this because it's something that I don't think we ever talk about. Why did Jesus say this? And why did he end it with this astonishing thing? All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the devil. Like that's, a, that's quite a striking statement, isn't it? Worth thinking about. There are all sorts of reasons perhaps why we shouldn't make a promise to God or an oath or a vow. One is that we're not in a bargaining position. We don't have anything that God needs. Um, we also have no control. We can't change the colour of our hair. We have no control over anything at all. So our promise that we make to God is somewhat empty. It also denies God's sovereignty in a way, doesn't it? If we can somehow change God's will, then it, it takes something away from God's authority and adds a little bit to ours. But there's one reason in particular which may, might explain why Jesus says anything more than this comes from the evil one. To swear an oath to God or to bargain with him is to treat God as an idol, a deity that can be controlled by men. Can you see how that works? It takes you straight back into the old, old sacrificial codes and, and, and the, uh, the pagan religions where what men do changes what God does. You can manipulate your God by sacrifice, by human sacrifice sometimes, all sorts of things like that. You can do rain dances, you can do animal sacrifices, but a deity that can be controlled is an idol and that is not who God is, and it's not who God can ever be. God's gifts to us always come to us by grace, yes? They never come to us because we've earned them. So it's fundamental to our relationship with God that it is always grace flowing from God to us, and it is never a promise or an oath or a bargain flowing from us back up to God. I didn't mean to point to myself as though I was God. That wasn't very well done. The moment you take, make a promise to God, you're stepping away from covenant relationship with him, from the new covenant. If our love relationship with God is damaged, then we, we no longer receive his grace or his love and essentially his forgiveness either. So when Jesus says, Anything more than a simple yes or no comes from the evil. And perhaps you can see just how
profoundly damaging it can be to us if we start to do it. And I don't know whether you've ever done it, but, but people do in small ways and in big ways. You're in the middle of a crisis, something's going awfully bad. The thought can come into your head, God, if you just, if, can you hear the danger of that word? If you just rescue me this, from this once, or sometimes it's this one more time, I'll do this, I'll do that. You might not put it into words. You might not say, God, if you rescue me, I will give half my wealth to the Baptist Mission Fund. You might not say, I will promise that I'll read my Bible at six o'clock every morning for the rest of my life. But in your heart, you might be saying, God, if, if you just rescue me this one more time, I won't turn away from you anymore. And do you see how you're stepping into this dangerous zone? And it's a bit like, once again, Jephthah, who was driven by his wounds, driven so hard, and last week we talked about the difference between being driven from behind towards God or being called from ahead by God. So vows are, vows are an important thing. We don't, we don't talk about it much, but there you are. There's a little bit of my thoughts about, about vows, and that sets us up for the, the vow that, that Jephthah is about to make. Just a thought that just popped into my head. You know when you do a wedding, well, you might not ever have done a wedding, but I've done lots of weddings, and many of you have been at one, and one of the great moments is when, as a marriage celebrant, you, you're here and there's the bride and groom. I can't even remember which side which one's on anymore. It's been so long. Bride, groom. Is that right? You know how you remember that? This is what I always remember. The groom has to be on this side, holding his wife's hand. And the reason for that is that he needs to be able to draw his sword. And No, this is true. Def that's, that's how it was. Marriage is pretty old. And um, why, why is that getting a laugh? I've lost now. I thought that was... Anyway. Oh, yeah, I was telling you a story. So <laughs> that's why I've got a laugh. So there's... the. Couples put great emphasis on the vows. It's all about the vows. And they, write their, they want to write their own vows. And on it goes. That is not the highlight of the, message, the, the marriage to me because marriage vows can't be kept. Um, you, you promise to love forsaking all others. Well, in the worst sense, yes. I, you know, we, we, I've, not, I've not committed adultery ever. But I know that sometimes I've got so annoyed with my wife that I've looked to my male friends for a bit of reasonable company. <laughs> you, can't, you cannot keep the letter of a promise. You can't do it. What I love in the marriage service is when you, you, the, the celebrant says something like, do you so and so and so and so believe that God has called you to be married this day? And they say, we do. It's just yes. Yes, we believe God wants us to be here. That's the, that is the moment. Do you get what I'm saying? And the promises, yeah, they're all right, but it's what... <laughs> you need them, but it's, it's that idea that God has called us to be married. We're back to that same word again, being called. It's beautiful. All right, now. Jephthah's vow. Now we get to the serious stuff. Jephthah's on the battlefield. He says, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, he says to God, 
whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. Can you just notice his language? When I return in triumph. Can you see the transition from this man who's been exiled by his family, completely shunned, when I return in triumph? It will be the Lord's and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Eroa to the vicinity of Minnith as far as Abel-Keramim and thus Israel subdued Amnon. The whole battle is done in two verses there, whereas lots of the other judges' stories that we've looked at, the battle is a a lot of verses, a lot of drama, a lot of going on. Two verses because the real story comes next. I'm in Judges 11, we're up to verse 34. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? The language, it's like um, a rhetorical question almost, isn't it? Who, who should come out to meet him? Who would have thought it's his daughter? dancing to the sound of timbrels. I, I have five daughters and I have never come home to find even one of them dancing. To <laughs> Although that's not entirely true because long, long ago, Karen had, when we had a church in Gunnedah, Karen had a, a group of timbrel players because that was a thing back then. This is like probably 60, 70 years ago. And it was the biggest group in the church. The timbrels were like, there was just too many, so many. So maybe I, it's possible that I did come home and that happened. <laughs> this suddenly occurred to me. Who should come out to the dancing to the sound of timbrels? So what the picture is, is, a girl, is the arrival of a girl in innocence, celebrating her father's victory, and there's an innocence and a simplicity in what's happening. Then it says, she was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. Why, why does the text say that twice? Did you hear it? She was an only child, full stop. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. It's sort of odd that it says it twice. And, and I think the whole purpose of this passage is, is to point out that this had to happen. There is nobody else to come out that door. There are no others. There's only a daughter inside that house. And when Jephthah makes that vow, perhaps he didn't know that consciously, but somehow within him, he did. So when it says, who should come out to meet him? It's saying, look who came out to meet him his only child. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down. Do you hear the, the, just the typical language of the abuser blaming the victim? Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down. What an incredible reversal She's actually the one who's celebrating God's victory and, as we will see, doesn't have a fear of death, which is the, the, the pattern of God's 
resurrection in our lives. So she, she's got it right and he's got it utterly wrong. Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down. And again, it's, it's, here, it's about him. His, his vow to, the, to God was, if you will give me victory, when I return in triumph, and now he says to his daughter, you have brought me down. It's an, it's, isn't, that just, isn't that just awful and ugly? And isn't it also somewhat familiar to us because we've seen a way that type of cruel, abusive manipulation plays out. You have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request. It's almost as though she knows what he has said on the battlefield, isn't it? And yet she came out dancing. Give me this one request. Give me two months to roam the hills and to weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and they wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. There is a, a, a debate about whether it was actually a human sacrifice that occurred there or whether she was just dedicated to the Lord in the way that Leviticus allows a sacrificial offering to be redeemed. There's, there's a possibility, but most writers that I've read agree with the text being literally true. But I won't delve into that. It's not that we don't need to prove that today. If you're interested, you can investigate it. I think that here, right here you have the most appalling thing. The history of the Israelites was to resist the Baals and the Ashtoreths who, pro who practiced human sacrifice. And in, in Israel's sacrificial um, covenant, there is never any room for human sacrifice. We began last week with a damaged and driven man reaching out to be accepted, affirmed, guided, held and, and even loved. Now his need and his woundedness drive him to a place where he's so desperate to gain control that he repeats his own pain by wounding the one that he loved most. So do you see how he's, he's almost repeating what was done to him by his brothers? His, Abimelech killed 70 of his brothers and his brothers, they didn't take his life, but they expelled him. His family shunned him. They pushed him as far away as Tob and forgot about him, left him. And it's almost as though he's repeating the wound that was done to him in the life of his own daughter. So similar. At this point, we've got to decide what we will take away from this truly awful and ugly story. I don't know whether I've ever heard a church quite so quiet. Or unless, I, unless I was being like really boring. That has happened. And it's just like, you know that you're the only one listening to what's going on. When I was 
in early, my early discipleship days in the Church of Christ, there was this way of doing your daily Bible reading that was drummed into me and you had to read your passage and then pray and then read it again. And then you had to look for a truth, a promise, a warning, an example to follow or an error to avoid. And in those five things, you would find the message, a truth, a promise, a warning, an example to follow or an error to avoid. And this morning, it would be so easy to do that, to view Jephthah as a warning and an error to avoid and leave it at that. But I so don't want to do that because it's easy to treat the Bible as a book of instruction and it instructs us, but sometimes there is so much more depth to be found. And so I'm going to ask you in the last few um, thoughts of this message to see if we can hold Jephthah in our hearts with compassion, much as we did last week, because we're, we are not his judge. It's incredibly easy for us to criticise him and criticise people like him. Hard to love him. When I was young, and I know I was young, I think I, I could only have been six or seven and I was travelling on the school bus and the reason I know it's six or seven is because we had really, really old buses. They had the mechanical hand that, that goes out the side. Do you remember it? And sort of a, there was a balance there. I could hear people go, yeah, and other people go, no. <laughs> so there were no blinkers. I, had a, I owned a car once that had no blinkers. Imagine that. And you had to put your hand out. This meant stop, and this meant turning right, and you haven't really got a symbol for turning left because there's nobody there anyway, so you just go, you see. Driving was so simple once. And on trucks, you still see grain trucks occasionally with a hand hanging out. Have you ever wondered what that is? Not a human hand, a metal hand, <laughs> a robot hand. And it, they just go like this. And the, the bus, though, it had this complicated thing made of brass and it was all shiny from use. And the driver could put it out and make it do this at the wrist, like that. And the noise of it, I can still hear it going click, 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 click. Because he had to do it all the time. He was like steering and doing this. I don't know how he changed gears. Old buses and little, and they had this, uh, the roof sort of was round like that. And all along the top, they, there were advertisements that were printed on paper and stuck. And I saw one. And I was so young, and it surprises me that this made such an impression, but it was a picture of a, a little, a sort of a hospital in the middle of a garden-y sort of a thing. A bit English, really. And it said, there but by the grace of God go I. And it was appealing for charity to support something or other. But those words, it, it really impressed me as a six-year-old, and I, to some degree I understood it. There but by the grace of God go I. When you see a sinner as ugly as Jephthah, and goodness me, there, there are people like that in our world, aren't there? We're, we're watching on, on an international stage just the most appalling barbarity, and you think, how can, how can people do that? But there by the grace of God go I. I'm going to ask Cassie, my daughter, to assist me in a demonstration. So I have in my hand 
a matchstick. Uh, we can't stand up for this, we've got to sit down. Now, Cassie's at the back of the room, and I'm going to cover this eye, and I'm going to put a matchstick in front of this eye, and, all right, Cassie, um, are you there? Call out if you're there. I can't see you. Are you there, Cassie? I can't see you, so I want you to walk, I don't know, about 20 feet. Come about a third of the way into the room, and then I'll see if I can see you. Mm. I still can't see you. Are you there? Bingo. Bingo. No, but I can't see you. You have to come further. Bingo. Keep. Keep walking towards me till you're... Walk, walk till you're about halfway. No, no, don't make noises. I'm not trying to hear you. I'm trying to see you. Are you, are you halfway? I still can't see you. Walk. I think you've got to come all the way to the, where the first people are sitting, which is usually about three or four rows back for reasons that... We all understand, but don't want to acknowledge. I can't see you. Where are you? Are you near the front yet? And I still can't see you. Keep walking forwards. I can hear you, but I can't see you. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stand still. I think I can see. Are you wearing something glittery? Oh, yeah, you've got a headband, haven't you? Wave your hands at the sides. Oh, yes, I can see you. Thank you. You may take your seat. What's, what's the purpose of this? Yes. Well done, Cassie. <laughs> and well done, Liz. <laughs> Time to go, Cassie. Karen... <laughs> Karen was going to do this illustration with me, but she's away, and I, I thought I, it has to be family to do this. Do, I'm sure you see what I'm getting at. How easy is it for something immaterial, something silly, something small, something tiny, something that does not matter, to enter into our life, into our heart, in such a way that it completely overtakes our view of what really does matter? And so when I think of Jephthah, although it's never really occurred to me to, to murder anybody, I sure have let my gaze on my family be distracted by small and irrelevant things that have done harm, you know? And we might see that in ourselves, and we've certainly seen it in other people, I'm sure, where, where you watch as relationships suffer great damage, they crumble, they, people are hurt simply because something silly has become somebody's obsession. And it might, it might be an actual material thing. It might be somebody buys a motorbike and instead of caring for their family, they just care for their motorbike. It might be career. It might be an alternate relationship. There's so many possibilities, it's probably endless. But let's not be too quick to judge Jephthah out of hand. There but by the grace of God go I. 
it is so easy for us to be ensnared in tiny things that are of no value and yet cause great harm to that, to that which we value most. We finally arrive now at the Bible reading for this morning. Cheryl is going to come and read for us. And uh, at the same time, Darren is going to come up with his chalk and uh, do a little bit more with his masterpiece. We're opening our Bible from the back, and uh, although we're, we're looking at the book of Judges today, our reading comes from Hebrews, and Cheryl's going to read from Hebrews um, chapter 11 for us. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, reading from Hebrews 11, um, first part from verses 1 to 3. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now we're going to skip ahead to verse 29 and read to verse 40. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect? Thank you so much, Cheryl. You uh, always read so wonderfully, I think. So you noticed at the beginning of the passage that, that Cheryl read that Jephthah's name is right at the beginning amongst the big guns. It says Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. 
and about David and Samuel and the prophets. So Hebrews lists Jephthah amongst the great heroes of faith and says that these people were all commended for their faith. When we think of Jephthah, although the Bible honours him, I think something within us, certainly within my head, is going, but, 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 he was this, he was that. He was an ugly character who did appalling things. Yes, that's absolutely true. Just as last week we looked at uh, something that David, a psalm of David that gave us insight into Jephthah. Let's read Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Very familiar, isn't it? It's in the old covenant. We opened our Bible from the back, but this is the old covenant. And God is still forgiving people. He always has been forgiving people. He forgave people then as he does now. Because we have opened the book from the back, we understand how God's forgiveness is mediated. We understand that Christ is our atonement. Jephthah repels us but we need to be really careful at this point. We, we cannot look at Jephthah simply as an ancient story because our lives are forever entwined in his eternity. Let, let me explain quite that, how that works. At the very last verse that, that Cheryl read said, God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Only together with us means that Jephthah finds his fulfilment in eternity, in Christ, just as we do, only together with us. I was going to ask Darren to move this, but I'm just going to move me, which is almost as difficult as moving that, I think. When you, when you look at this, I wonder whose hand you see there. I, just this week, began to read a, a, a curious book by St. Teresa of Avila, who was born in 1515, quite a long time ago. And I discovered that she wrote this. Christ has no body on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassionately on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. You might have thought that this hand was God's hand reaching out to rescue a broken and lost man who has become um, an abuser in the worst possible way, an appalling and evil man. You might have thought that that's God's hand, but it's your hand and it's my hand because God doesn't have hands anymore. 
he left the body of Christ with that responsibility. And what strikes me is that only together with us will Jephthah find the fulfilment that we all long for in the resurrection. And so in eternity, that literally is my hand. And it literally is your hand. This isn't a man who lived 3,000 years ago who can teach us something about morality. He's a man who remains part of our lives in an extraordinary way. Be careful how you respond to his story because there's great danger in looking outwards and criticising. That's why I said don't make this an error to avoid or a warning because it's so easy to criticise, it's so easy to judge, it's so easy to point at a character like him and say, not me, thank God I'm saved from being like that. But that's wrong, isn't it? That's fundamentally flawed. There but by the grace of God go I. We, we ourselves need to be transformed in forgiveness so that we are no longer repelled by Jephthah, but we're able to take his hand and offer him the grace that we've received. So he isn't with us anymore. He's gone. One day we will, I think, we will meet him. We will see him. No, none of us understand how that all works, what the resurrection actually is like, but the Bible speaks about it frequently. But today, there are an endless number of people who are driven towards darkness by their wounds. And the last thing they need is more criticism and more judgment. What they need is our hand, yeah? There are Jephthahs everywhere. And it's too easy for us to be judgmental. Too easy for us to be simply moral police. It's the great danger of the Christian church, I think. What we need to be, actually, is the hand, that hand that reaches down with God's grace and God's love. Amen.